Well, it has been an exhilarating season of women's college basketball so far this year. And while there are a lot of great players and programs to discuss, the big question for this season is a simple one. Is anybody going to beat South Carolina? You are Locked On College Basketball, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is up? Welcome to the Locked On College Basketball Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Andy Patton, and today's episode of Locked On College Basketball is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, more odds, and more lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. What has been a very fun season of college hoops on the women's side, and Matthew Walter is here with me today. Matthew is part of the fantastic team at Locked On Women's Basketball and also covers the Pac-12 and the WCC for the next hoops. Matthew, I really want to start by talking about South Carolina because I don't know how we can start a conversation about women's basketball this year without starting with the South Carolina Gamecocks. Uh, of course, some fantastic wins this season. Big win over number two Stanford. That was kind of the game of the year so far. Also wins over Maryland and UCLA, top 20 teams. Honestly, the big question really is for this team, like, are they going to run the table here and kind of where, where, what are their chances of repeating as national champions? I would say their chances are pretty high. I was at that game against mm -hmm. Stanford yeah. um, that went to overtime and that was a game that really could have gone either way. Stanford yeah. went real cold in the fourth quarter, but from the majority yeah. of the game, I thought Stanford was the better team, mm -hmm. but South Carolina, you know, the sec is down this year. So I don't think they're going to get a huge challenge other than mm -hmm. maybe LSU a little bit mm -hmm. in that sec and, I think they're pretty much a lock to make the final four. Leah Boston is the lock for the number one pick in the WNBA draft. So much talent, size, athleticism mm -hmm. around her for South Carolina. And it's a lot of players that returned from their national championship team last year. They really only lost one starter in Destiny Henderson to the WNBA. So they're pretty much the same team. I do think Stanford on any night could beat them. I think that loss in overtime showed that those two teams are very close. Mm -hmm. And Stanford has the size and the athleticism and the players to compete with them. So those are probably your two favorites. I think South Carolina should be favored ahead of them just because of that head-to-head -head win. But it's not like they're clearing ahead better than everybody else. I think there are teams that could compete with them. And Stanford is definitely number two in my mind of the team that could number two in the country and the number one team I think can compete with South Carolina and have a shot to win a national championship. Certainly when you take a team to overtime, you got to imagine that, you know, had the ball rolled another direction and pretty much any of the plays during that game that they would have had a chance to win that one. Uh, you mentioned Aaliyah Boston. And for me, like looking at the box scores and looking at uh, the stats here, like I, I've heard the name Aaliyah Boston, obviously she's extraordinarily talented. Like you said, going to be the first pick in the WNBA draft. I sort of expected her numbers to be like head and shoulders arrest of the uh, over the rest of the players on South Carolina, but they seem to have a very balanced scoring attack. A lot of players kind of similar points per game, similar production kind of seems like it's not necessarily like, Oh, just contain Aaliyah and, and you're going to win the game. It seems like they have enough weapons that, that any given game, somebody else might step up and beat you. That's absolutely true. And again, you go back to that Stanford game, right? Stanford sort of kept her quiet early in the game. Mm -hmm. She came alive. Fourth quarter hits the game tying bucket mm -hmm. to force overtime. And then in overtime starts to sort of take over the game before finally fouling out. But mm -hmm. South Carolina is so deep. They have so much talent. They're so athletic. Don Staley has built a powerhouse program there with just you know so much talent Bree Beal, Victoria Saxton, Camila Cardoso. It's a team full of players who could be stars at 
a lot of other places mm -hmm. and they've all accepted like no one here is to be the star like Aaliyah boston is a really good player mm -hmm. and there are games when like she needs to be a star and she fills it up right but she understands like and i think winning a championship teaches you as a team yeah you need to be a team player. You need to fill your role first. And those are the teams that win championships, the players that accept their roles and fill them really well. And that's what South Carolina has across the board from all of their players are people who fill roles and do what they're supposed to do. And that's what makes them so much better than almost every other team. Well, you mentioned Stanford and obviously, like we said, a, a team that no doubt could contend, will contend for a national championship as the number two team in the country. But I wonder if there are other teams San South Carolina, Stanford, I guess, if you're taking the field versus those two programs in terms of winning a national championship, if it's not going to be one of those two teams, uh, are there other programs that you think potentially have the, the athleticism, the size, the talent to, to contend for a national championship over those programs? Yeah, I would start with the two teams. First one would be Indiana. Indiana mm -hmm. has played very well to start the year. Really, really, you know, veteran team, a lot of fourth and fifth year players, Grace Berger, Mackenzie Holmes, these sort of older players at Indiana, they play suffocating defense. Mm -hmm. They see, seem to stay in every game just because they're so good on the defensive side of the ball, really locking you down. And then another team that's really impressed me, North Carolina. Yeah. Uh, North Carolina, I watched them play against a very good Oregon team, was mm -hmm. down late, came back to win. Same thing against Iowa State, down late, came back to win two ranked wins at the Phil Knight legacy tournament that was in Portland over the Thanksgiving break. They have a ton of experience with Kennedy, Todd Williams um, mm -hmm. and a few other players and just a very good team. The ACC and the big 10 are both two loaded conferences. Yep. And if you can come out of those conferences just as a better team, and those are two teams that I think shouldn't have a chance to compete and win the, the ACC and the big 10, but those are the kind of conferences we talk about that they sort of eat themselves, right? Mm -hmm. So you're going to you know play some games. You'll beat some teams that you maybe shouldn't beat and you'll lose some gets because it's a lot of ranked teams, five, yeah. six ranked teams inside of those kind of conferences. And those are two teams that so far this season have really impressed me with how they've played. Well, one team that you didn't mention that I think might surprise some some more casual women's basketball fans would be the Yukon Huskies. Of course, Gino Ariema's program has been uh, a staple for a really long time. Last couple of years haven't quite been, you know, the most dominant program in college basketball history, which is what they basically were prior to that. I'm kind of curious where you think this team is at right now, uh, ranked ninth as we're having this conversation. So clearly still a, a program that that is, is you know, at or near the top of the standings, but uh, have obviously dealt with some pretty significant injuries as well. I'm curious kind of where you think UConn kind of is in the scope of, of the national basketball conversation this year. Yeah, it's hard. I think before the season, because Paige Beckers, who everyone knows is the star at UConn, yeah. tore her ACL coming into the season, there were a lot of people, including myself, who thought this is a down year for UConn. Mm -hmm. They'll be a middle, maybe 15 to 25 ranked team. They'll maybe make the Sweet 16 Elite Eight. They just mm -hmm. don't have the talent. Mm -hmm. Then the middle of this year starts, and AZ Fudd, who is their star sophomore player, yeah. turned into a different player this year. Just more aggressive, attacking the basket, shooting the basketball, came out really well. UConn was really impressive early in the season, beating teams like a team like Texas, who a lot of people yeah. thought could win the Big 12, and mm -hmm. just showing a lot of people that you know they were wrong about them. Well, AZ Fudd is now out three to six weeks with an injury, and a lot of other UConn players, Dorka Juhas, Nika Mule, some of their other stars who have to step up, also out with injuries. So for UConn, it's not about do they have the talent because they have so much talent. It's can those kids come back and be healthy at the right time around the NCAA tournament because UConn should have enough talent to compete and most likely win the Big East. The question is, do they have enough talent when it comes tournament time that is healthy mm -hmm. so that they can be competitive? But they, Gino, I should stop doubting Gino. I doubted him this right. year and I was wrong. He's, <laughs> improved, he's proved to me this year he knows how to evaluate talent. 
They find ways to win games. They're, you know, they're, I think, what, nine and one, 10 and run, ranked ninth. Mm -hmm. I think once they get healthy again, they're easily another person who can contend for a title. But mm -hmm. right now, because of those injuries, how that affects the middle of their season will affect, you know, where they get seated and how they have to attack the NCAA tournament. Well, the phrase West Coast, best coast isn't often seriously applied when discussing sports. And while South Carolina and UConn and Indiana and many other teams kind of dominate a lot of the headlines for women's basketball, it sure does feel like the West Coast is chock full of elite women's basketball programs. More on that momentarily. But first, a word from the NHTSA. You're hanging out with some friends and putting back a few drinks. A few becomes a few too many. As the evening comes to an end and people start to head out, you think of calling for a ride. Nah, you live nearby. You can make it home, okay? It's not a big deal. What are the odds you'll get pulled over anyway? And even so, what's the worst that could happen? Everyone knows about the risks of driving drunk. The results are tragic and often deadly. However, that still doesn't stop everyone from getting behind the wheel while under the influence. That's why police officers are out there right now looking for impaired drivers on our roads to save lives. So if you think you're okay to drive after a few drinks, think again. Play it safe and plan ahead to get a ride. It only takes one mistake to change your life or someone else's forever. Drive sober or get pulled over. All right, segment two. Still Andy Patton here, still locked on college basketball. Still joined by Matthew Walter of the Next Hoops and Locked On Women's Basketball. Matthew, want to talk a little bit about some West Coast hoops. I know that's kind of your area of expertise covering the WCC and the Pac-12. Stanford, obviously, a team that got a lot of run in the first segment because they're very, very good and a very legitimate competitor for the national championship. They're the best team on the West Coast. I don't think there is a doubt there. But looking at the rankings, at least right now, I mean, Stanford's ranked, UCLA is ranked, Utah is ranked, Oregon is ranked, Arizona is ranked. That's five schools in the Pac-12, all within the top 25. you got Gonzaga hanging on to a spot in the top 25 as well. Six programs, West Coast. I'm curious kind of your thoughts on, on maybe why the West Coast seems to be a, a rapidly growing hotbed for talent in women's basketball. And 30 years is how long it took for the West Coast to win another championship. Stanford won it in 92. Stanford won it again in 2021. Sure seems like it's not going to be that long again. I'm curious your thoughts there as well. I think a lot of it has to do with Stanford, right? When you're a historically great program like that and you have a coach like Tara Vanderveer who's been there as long as she is, it mm -hmm. brings the rest of the leagues and other people up, right? You have mm -hmm. to be more competitive. And, you know, if you look at a couple of those schools you named, Utah, mm -hmm. Arizona, Oregon, they mm -hmm. sort of have their up-and-coming programs, right? They're mm -hmm. not historically really good. Right. Oregon, you know, got good when Sabrina Ninescu played at Oregon and maybe people can argue in that COVID year, they would have won the national championship right. if the NCAA tournament doesn't get canceled. But, you know, Arizona wasn't good until they made the national championship game a couple of years ago. And now people mm -hmm. are really talking about them. Utah is undefeated and made their first NCAA tournament appearance last year in, in like 10 years or so. Mm -hmm. Oregon has just sort of become consistent since Kelly Graves moved from Gonzaga over yeah. to Oregon. UCLA has been a really consistent and one of the best programs in the country. But again, this is a, a a group of teams that you talked about in that power, that five power teams in the Pac-12 that mm. are just continuing to get better because you have to compete with Stanford, right? You have to compete against the rest of the world. And they're going out and recruiting kids that aren't just from the West Coast. Right. The number two recruit in the country, Kiki Rice, plays at UCLA. She's from the Maryland area. Mm -hmm. uh, Arizona had one of the best recruiting classes, kids from Minnesota and all over the country. Same with Oregon, kids mm. from everywhere. So they're doing a better job going out and recruiting not just the West Coast and even not just, you know, the United States going out internationally and getting high level recruits. The two best kids that play for Utah are from Minnesota. So mm -hmm. it's not just, you know, selling 
just your local area. And then it's also the transfer portal, right? You're seeing it a lot. Stanford doesn't use it a lot, but Oregon used it. Arizona used it. Uh, Utah used it. UCLA used it. All these teams go out and get kids from other schools that are, you know, high level kids. And that Mm -hmm. just helps to build these programs up because you are chasing probably the best West coast power program in Stanford in in the Mm -hmm. history of women's basketball. Absolutely. Well, I kind of want to go through a couple of those teams and really kind of do a segment that we like to do here on Locked On College Basketball, pretenders or contenders, uh, realistically looking at kind of these teams' chances of of maybe not necessarily winning at all, but like, are they justifiably ranked where they are? Are they legitimate candidates to be Sweet 16, potentially Elite Eight programs? I think we can safely move past Stanford. Stanford is not a pretender. They are legit. They are real. They have a very realistic chance of winning it all this year. Uh, but I want to kind of look at some of these other programs, uh, specifically, you know, some of the programs that maybe aren't often in this conversation. Uh, you know, UCLA is traditionally pretty good, but Utah, Arizona in particular are, are teams that, you know, I, I spoke with Brenna Maxwell, who now plays at Gonzaga, but transferred from the University of Utah. And like, they weren't really good for her first couple of years there. And now, of course, like you said, undefeated team. So like, is that something that you think is legitimate? Is it something where oh, maybe they're just playing a little bit above their heads right now? Or like, we'll start with Utah. Like, do you, do you find them like a, a realistic contender right now for a Sweet 16 or maybe even further in the tournament? Contender, very yeah. much a contender. They ran on Utah. All right. Lead, I think I think they lead they lead the Pac-12 when they may are close to the top of the country in points per game. Uh-huh. They have multiple games putting up over ninety points a game. They mm-hmm. have. They play a very fun style of basketball. They play up-tempo. They beat a ranked Oklahoma team by putting up 124 points in their game against Oklahoma. They have three-point shooters all over the floor. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's a team last year. They were in the Pac-12 championship game as the sixth seed. Wow. You know, they beat Arkansas and took mm-hmm. Texas to the brink in the second round, and that's a very good Texas program. Mm-hmm. They are they are definitely contenders. They have a couple of kids who can really light it up. They added a transfer from USC, Alyssa Peely, who's been incredible for them inside. Yeah. They do need to improve on defense, but I think a lot of it's the style they play, right? They play very up-tempo. They want to push the pace. So when you play at this speed, it's going to give other teams more possessions. So mm-hmm. you can't really look at how many points opponents are scoring just because, again, they're going to get more opportunities. But if I had to pick my second-best team in the Pac-12, I personally think it's Utah. Mm-hmm. A lot of people argue it's UCLA, mm-hmm. maybe Oregon. But Utah, just with the amount of scoring they have they can score at all five positions they can spread you out they can do a lot of different things on the offensive end and they really are a team that i think are going to come down and, and challenge even challenge stanford i think in, in times and maybe give them a run for their money just mm-hmm. because of the style they play and the pace they play at talk to me about a little bit about this oregon team because i know one thing that kind of that we saw happen with kelly Graves's program there was a, a pretty significant exodus of players uh, i believe this last offseason they lost a handful of younger recruits that they brought in i think a lot of players who were in that freshman class all ended up transferring out, added some new players, look like a strong program so far. Graves has obviously done a really nice job with, with bringing in talent, maintaining talent. I mean, how many girls have gone on to the WNBA very recently? Of course, you have UNESCO, the Sabali sisters, Ruthie Hebert, you know, like a lot of high end talent coming out of this program. Do you think that this is a team, a roster this year that can really contend for a championship this year? Or are they kind of more, more on the contender or on the pretender side? That one, I would say somewhere in the middle. It's it's hard to really say. They have a lot of freshmen. They're playing two star guards who Mm -hmm. can absolutely fill it up. First team, all Pac-12 players could play on, I think, any team in the country Mm -hmm. in India Rogers and Tahina Pow Pow. Mm -hmm. Um, But the rest of the roster is a lot of freshmen and a lot of kids that haven't played big roles. Now, one of their freshmen, Grace Van Sluten, in my mind, is the early candidate and probably the favorite for Pac-12 freshman of the year. Really talented, can absolutely fill it up. 
Mm-hmm. She's a six foot guard, can you know guard a little bit in the post, can shoot the outside shot, just has been incredibly impressive as a freshman. Mm-hmm. And I truly think has a chance to be one of the best freshmen in the country. It's how the other freshmen, and it's a very highly rated freshman class for Oregon, how that fills out and how these sort of role players play. But right. from what I've seen in the early part of the season from Oregon, I would say that I would lean more contender than pretender, mm-hmm. but I think they're somewhere in the middle. It's going to be a big thing about how these freshmen develop and play, especially once you get the Pac-12 play where coaches have some, some film on you, know what you want to do as a team, how can you compete? And, and you saw it in their one Pac-12 game they had so far against Oregon State was a home win where they trailed by double digits at one point and ended up winning the game by six points. You know, So that's how the Pac-12 is every night, and I think Oregon you know, is easily a top three, four team in the Pac-12. The question is just can those freshmen push them over the edge to be contenders? Absolutely. Well, you said Stanford's one. You said you have your hot take that UT, Utah, excuse me, is number two. I'm curious kind of what that means, your, your, your thoughts are about UCLA and kind of where that program is right now and whether they're a team that could legitimately contend not only to win the Pac-12, but potentially, you know, make a deep run in March. Yeah, a lot of people have UCLA as their two. I have them as my three. Mm-hmm. And it's a similar reasons to Oregon, but I have them above Oregon because they have a couple of really veteran players in Charisma Osborne who could, you know, compete for player of the year in the Pac-12, Gina Conti, a transfer from Wake Forest at the point guard spot. And then they have the number two freshman in the country in Kiki Rice, who has shown early in the year that she also, you know, it's her and Van Sluten in my mind for Pac-12 freshman of the year. Mm-hmm. But I think really that's a UCLA team. They showed it in that tournament in the Bahamas, right? They mm-hmm. beat Marquette. They won the tournament. It is a team that came into the season unranked. They struggled last night. They took, took them a little while to knock off USC mm-hmm. in their first Pac-12 game, but they got the win. And I think that's the team that, again, those are your top two two and three teams is Utah and US, UCLA, excuse me, mm-hmm. for second and third in the Pac-12. And a lot of people like this UCLA team. I think, again, I'm going to pick a team that has a little bit more sophomores and juniors playing for their team than UCLA, who, like Oregon, has a lot of freshmen, especially filling out their bench. And when you get yeah. the Pac-12 play, you're asking a lot of freshmen to, to sort of step up against really high-quality competition. And, and you saw it last night when they struggled to beat a USC team that was undefeated but didn't have you know the marquee kind of wins that UCLA has had so far this season. Right. Well, I want to close close out this this kind of pretenders contenders segment here. Talk about Gonzaga. Uh, you kind of you mentioned the Bahamas. You mentioned uh, some of the teams that were out there for for Gonzaga. You know they pick up some really nice wins, but those wins, <laughs> I feel like they don't look quite as good as they did at the time, just because Louisville and Tennessee haven't quite been the programs that they were expected to be at least when Gonzaga secured those victories. Uh, obviously, the WCC. I know that's a conference you cover. It doesn't look like some of the programs that were expected to compete with Gonzaga haven't quite looked as sharp as maybe expected to at this point in the year. If Gonzaga is going into a a somewhat down WCC season, that certainly makes it a little bit more difficult for them to earn a higher seed coming into March. I'm curious your thoughts on this team uh, as they kind of get into conference play. I will go contenders with an asterisk. And the asterisk is they need to get healthy. They have yes. a lot of injuries right now, a lot yeah. of kids who have been sick. Then they played mm-hmm. Stanford. They had seven active players. So I yeah. think they're going to need to get healthy. They're, you know, they're the, you know, not like they're, I'm comparing them to UConn, but just with the amount of injuries that I've seen from Gonzaga and the illness, yeah. if they can get healthy, they can be a, a contender. And again, I don't think you can look at the Stanford game and say, this is the normal Gonzaga team. Cause again, mm-hmm. they didn't have 
some of their star players, no Kaylee Trong, two of their other starters didn't play. You're asking kids that didn't play a lot to compete again. They competed for the solid first half against Stanford. But again, if they can get healthy, I think they're a contender. I think they could be a sweet 16 team. You don't count Lisa Fortier out, right? They almost beat Mm -hmm. Louisville last year. But again, it's all about can you get your stars and your players healthy where you're not really concerned about, you know, am I going to have my best player in a situation where I need to win a game? 100%. 100%. Well, it kind of a good lead into the next topic that I wanted to discuss, which is just general risers and fallers. Obviously, you see this every year uh, as we're talking here in mid-December of, of teams that had really high expectations in the preseason who have not met those expectations. And then, of course, the flip side, teams that weren't even weren't ranked or weren't considered really legitimate candidates to be in the top 25, top 20, sometimes top 15 at times. And we've seen some teams kind of balloon up into that conversation. I'm curious if there are teams, I I mentioned Tennessee and Louisville, of course, as teams that, uh, you know, were, were more highly regarded at least the time Gonzaga played them than they are now, but are there other teams that have kind of surprised you either in a negative or positive way uh, at this point in the season? I'll start with the negative and I'll again, Tennessee and Louisville are probably the first two and Texas that come to my mind, the first three and start with Tennessee, right? That's a historic program. One of the best, you know, historically in the, in the country Mm -hmm. and they were projected top five team. I think that they're maybe 500 at best right now Mm -hmm. in in terms of their record. And they just haven't had the success and they have a lot of transfers and, you know, it takes time for transfers to gel and they've had some injury issues and other things here and there. And they just haven't really looked, like the consistent normal Tennessee program we're used to seeing, especially mm-hmm. even just the one last year that Kelly Harper looked like she had turned around mm-hmm. uh, Louisville. I can't explain to you what's going wrong there. Louisville is Jeff Wall is one of the best coaches I think in women's college basketball. Mm-hmm. They have talent. You know, Haley Van Lith is one of the best players in the country. Yeah. I haven't really got a chance to watch them, but you're right. I mean, losing to middle Tennessee state, mm-hmm. losing to Gonzaga, not that a Gonzaga is a bad program, but just right. it's not the normal Louisville team that we've seen show up with the intensity that they've showed up with making the final four last mm-hmm. year, final fours recently. And that's a team I think will get turned around and get things figured out. Jeff Walls is a really good coach, but definitely a surprise. And lastly, Texas. And I think you can say this, you know, having watched WCC a lot, I thought Shaley Gonzalez would have had more of an impact at Texas and hasn't really shown that they've been without Rory Harmon, who's probably their best player Mm -hmm. in the front, in the backcourt and their starters star point guard. But that was a program that I had slated as a final four national championship contender because they finally had the offense to go with the defense that Vic Schaefer wanted to play. And it's just not been, and Rory's been hurt and hurt, you know, so they'll cut her back. And I think, again, they're going to compete in the big 12 and, you know, should be maybe one of the favorites, but those are the three teams that, you know, preseason were all top 10 teams and all, I don't think any of them are ranked anymore. Right. Pretty wild stuff. Well, I want to talk a little bit about national player of the year candidates. Who, who are the best players in college basketball? You mentioned Haley Van Lith just now. Uh, obviously we talked about Aaliyah Boston on the number one South Carolina squad, uh, but I think this conversation it has to start with Caitlin Clark at Iowa. Caitlin Clark has just been absolutely ridiculous this season. Well over 25 points per game, seven rebounds, seven assists. She's putting up LeBron James type numbers for the Iowa Hawkeyes. Uh, is she your favorite right now? Or if not, is there anybody else who's kind of realistically in this conversation for player of the year? I would say it's it's a two-team race between her and Aaliyah Boston. Caitlin yeah. Clark is probably one of the – and I think if Paige Beckers was healthy, she'd be in that conversation yeah. too. Mm-hmm. But Caitlin Clark, one of the best players in the country. I mean, I think – even casual fans know who she is, right? Yeah. Her highlights show up all over my Twitter feed, yeah. all over oh, yeah. social media, mm-hmm. knocking down Steph Curry range shots, <laughs> dribbling into them, no hesitation. Mm-hmm. The only concern there is Iowa doesn't play a lot of defense and, and they don't win games because of it. Mm-hmm. They're like, a, we're just going to outscore you kind of team, but sometimes that doesn't happen. 
And I think, you know, a lot of people just like with the Heisman look at, and any other player of the year award, look at, it's a combination of not only how good are you, but how good is your team, yep. right? You could be the best player in the country, but if your team isn't very good, it's going to be hard to win player of the year just because you're not, you know, you're not helping to elevate your team. Right. Mm -hmm. And Aaliyah Boston's team is undefeated. They're the best team in the country. Clearly. Yeah. Caitlin Clark, again, she's putting up great numbers, but Iowa needs to be a more consistent team night in and night out. If she wants to be the person competing for that award on a consistent basis. 100%. I'm curious if there's any other players, you know, all American rosters, more than just a handful of players on those teams. I'm kind of curious uh, if there's other names that maybe jump out of you. Uh, Maddie Segrist is one that jumps out to me, certainly with the, the production that she has had. Uh, again, of course, you mentioned Boston and Haley Van Lith, who've been fantastic. But are there other players who kind of who, who stand out to you as like, hey, this is one of the five or seven or so best players in the country right now? Um, I would say Cameron Brink at Stanford is one of yep. the best players in the country. Six foot six, can shoot the three, really mobile. Her only downside is she fouls a little too much mm -hmm. and it has limits her how much she plays in games. So I think, you know, if she can stay out of foul trouble, something she knows a lot about, something she's worked on really hard. Mm -hmm. She's, you know, very much a candidate for national player of the year, especially if Stanford goes on our deep run and then could be, you know, they're a national title contender and she can be a little more dominant and just play a little bit more. She's someone who I could see, for sure being in the conversation for national player of the year. And mm -hmm. I also wouldn't count out Rory Harmon at Texas. I think once she gets healthy, especially if they make a turnaround now that she's, once she becomes healthy and starts playing more, people mm -hmm. will see the value that she brings to that team. And again, like big 12 is not a, is a good conference and really hard to win games. And so I think, you know, she's someone who could be, if they can make that turnaround with her being healthy, could really compete for that national player of the year award. And, and Maddie Seegers is another candidate. I think they'll know who would have to pull some upsets and yeah. maybe beat a UConn here or there mm -hmm. just for her to be on the map, because it's hard when you play in the big East and you're not named UConn right. to win some of these awards and be considered. Cause again, like it's a, a lot of these awards that we talk about, their popularity contest They're Who do people know about who do people, you know, when they just the, the casual fans. And I don't think unless you follow women's basketball to a decent level, you know who Maddie Segrist is. You know who some of these players are. You know the Aaliyah Bostons. You know the Caitlin Clarkson. So those are the kids that have the advantage mm -hmm. because they play on these star teams and, and have really done a good job of being shown to the rest of the world. Matthew, I want to thank you again so much for coming on the show. And before I let you go, I kind of want to give you an opportunity to give li listeners who, who have checked out the show, who are interested in learning more about women's basketball, uh, who want to kind of find opportunities to read about it, to podcast about it, or, or listen to podcasts about it. I want to give you a chance to kind of talk about Locked On Women's Basketball and also talk about the next and, and, and the work that you and Howard and so many other people are doing over there. Yeah, I appreciate that, Andy. It's uh, it's honestly one of the great greatest group of people that I've gotten a chance to work with. Mm -hmm. We cover every power five conference. We cover a ton of mid-major conferences. Um, we cover every WNBA team. We have a podcast six days a week. Mm -hmm. We have, you know, any topic about women's basketball, you can find it over at the next over at locked on women's basketball. And we are some of the hardest working and most dedicated people to the sport of women's basketball that I've known. If you have any interest in women's basketball, come check us out. You're it's completely free. It's not going to cost you a dime. And there's an incredible content. We cover all the big games, we cover all the big teams, all the big moments, everything about your favorite player, your favorite team, college, the WNBA, overseas, international teams. We have it all covered for you. Again, it's a great group of people. We work really hard. We've had some um, some big things happening within our group recently. And just come check us out. We, we do great work. And I couldn't ask for a better group of people to work with. And again, if you like women's basketball, it's the perfect place for you. We have, you know, we cover 
you know, every team across the country. So just give us a shout. Mm-hmm. Check us out, Locked On Women's Basketball and the next hoops. Yep, absolutely. You can find both those on Twitter at Locked On Women's Basketball or Locked On WBB, I should say, at the next hoop. Uh, I'm a subscriber. It's been fantastic to get the emails, to get the content. I highly, highly recommend checking it out for anybody listening who wants to learn more about women's basketball. That is going to do it for Matthew and I today and, of course, for this week. Enjoy the weekend. Enjoy the holiday, everybody. Don't miss more coming from us here, Locked On College Basketball, starting next week.